Welcome to Grounded in the Word. Here in this podcast, our concern is all about the foundation or the soil of our hearts. The state of the soil or the state of our hearts, the foundation that we build upon determines everything. Just as it is with the building, if the foundation is not right, then the rest of the building will follow in suit. It will not be right. It will be unsafe, unsteady. Or if the soil that a seed is planted in is not good or pure soil, then what is grown, what is birthed from that seed will not be good, will not be pure. So we need to make sure that our foundation and our soil is good and right and pure. And that's all that we are concerned about here is just making sure that what we are planting in, the seed that we are receiving, making sure that it's going into good soil and making sure that which we are building up is built on a good foundation. I pray that you join us in this endeavor to ensure that that foundation and ensure that that soil is good. Welcome back, everybody. Excited to be back with you once again. Um, Didn't have an episode last week, but schedules are what they are. Um, As all of you may well know, if you are an adult and have a life, life is chaotic sometimes. I uh, can't always predict how everything's going to go. Um, so this week, uh, we're continuing our discussion on the oneness. We started that in the last, we saw that two episodes ago. Pastor Fisher and I talked about the oneness, specifically sort of staying more so in the Old Testament. Um, and in the episode that followed it was just myself and I told two narratives that were attempting to convey truths regarding the oneness and I I hope that they conveyed what I was attempting for them to convey uh, hopefully they made sense and worked well uh, who knows <laughs> um, so this week we're going to continue that um, probably going to focus a little bit more on the New Testament, but either way, well, you know, we might jump back into the Old Testament. We might do a little bit of hybrid, a little bit of both, either way. Uh, but we're going to continue our discussion on the oneness of God uh, here in this episode. And I'm going to reiterate something really quick uh, that was mentioned, I believe, in our first episode of the oneness. And that's... <clears throat> regarding why it's important to understand the oneness. Um, I, I believe, I forget who it was, either, obviously either Pastor Fisher or I, that made the comment that in a relationship, before you can get to know that person, you first have to know who they are. Right. How, how do you expect to know someone if you don't have a basic understanding of them? You can't, Let's you so let's use the most intimate relationship known to man, marriage. How can you expect to have an actual relationship with a husband or a wife, right? If you don't know that person, not just personality-wise, 
but just the basics of who they are. Right. It, like you can't have so. It's gonna make for a long marriage. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, we're very short. A very short, long marriage. <laughs> um, so, but you, you know, we talk about intimacy. And uh, while the Bible may not specifically always refer to intimacy using the actual word, right. the concept is there. All, all over. All over. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, he is referred to as the bridegroom. And we are referred to as the bride. Right. So again, he 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 built upon the most intimate relationship we know as human beings, mm-hmm. and correlates to, uh, that to our relationship with him. Right. In other places, he is referred to as the father, and we his children. Right. Again, a very intimate relationship, just different from husband wife. Right. Um, and there there are several different ways in which he correlates this relationship and and portrays it. But they're all, they all hinge on intimacy. Mm-hmm. But intimacy, so we, we, we talk about, even in this podcast series, we talk about foundation versus what's built upon the foundation. Right. Intimacy is not part of the foundation. Intimacy is what built upon the foundation. And so you can't go into a relationship brand spanking new and expect there to be intimacy. Right. Intimacy only comes when there's first something that is laid. Right. First something that is prepared and then you build upon that. Comes through the relationship. Exactly. And so you you can't expect to go to God for the very first time knowing nothing about him and expect there to be intimacy. Right. You have to build that foundational part of that relationship first. So, well, how do you do that? Well, one of the most key foundational, foundational, fundamental aspects of building that relationship is understanding his oneness. Yeah. And it, you know, some may say, well, what is your, what is your proof for such a statement? We read it in the two episodes ago, Deuteronomy six, four, mm-hmm. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years God had taken them through and he had essentially killed off the entire previous generation that was faithless. Right. So you had this brand spanking new generation that did not really know the law, which is why this is the reason for Deuteronomy, which literally means second law. Yeah. Moses was reiterating to the new generation right. the law that God had given them. Um, so you have this brand new generation, doesn't really know the law. And doesn't really know God apart from the stories that have been told to them. Right. They don't really have that relationship with him for themselves. And so in, you know, in the entire pr- uh, premise of, of, the, of the Torah, you know, Exodus through Deuteronomy, is God preparing the people to enter into promise. And even Genesis, because the, yeah. promise, of the, uh, the promise was given of the promised land to Abraham in Genesis. Right saying that your offspring will return to this land of which I will give you. Um, and so it's really the entire Torah is built upon Israel entering into this promise. Well, before they could enter into this promise, there had to be a knowing, a knowing of who he was, who he is. Right. Um, and so what did God have Moses convey to the people endeavoring to have to to enable them to know him deuteronomy 6 4 
Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was the foundation for everything, and then he built upon that. Right. And that's, wow. that, that was how they came to know. That was, that was where their relationship started. Right. He's one, and his name is Yahweh. That's where you start, and then you build from there. Right. And so, why is it integral to understand the oneness? Simply because if you desire to have any sort of relationship with Jesus, you have to know the very basic, integral aspect of who he is. Yeah, he's exactly. one. Exactly. You have to have a relationship and understanding of his lordship yeah. over your life. Yeah. Um, it's so many interesting points that I, I could trail off of what you just said. Um, but let's just talk about the Old Testament relationship with God. There, there were some... Well, let's just talk about the promised land. The promised land was something that was given to them. They went through the wilderness, and we find the 12 spies right. went into the promised land, right? They go in there. Caleb and Joshua return and say, we can take the land. Yeah. We can take it. They believed in their God, and they knew who he was. So there was, without a doubt, they were convinced and persuaded that our God told us this is ours, we're going to go in there and take what is already ours. Yeah. So they weren't operating necessarily by faith. They were operating through possession. Yeah. Because absolutely. when you know who God is in his fullness, then he's, then you know what he can do for you. Um, but in the totality. So I guess what I'm saying on there is that in the old Testament, they, there were some that knew God by his might, but didn't know him as the almighty. Mm, that's good. So they, they could they experienced him, the children of Israel experienced him, bring manna from heaven, bring quail uh, for food, the, to bring water out of the rock, to part the Red Sea, do miracle upon miracle. But did they relegate that just through their relationship, just as he was a God of might mm. in a part of something? But there was the reiteration, the Shema, as you said, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one that there is the almighty mm -hmm. that he's not just displaying his might. Yeah. He's displaying his totality. Yeah. So the understanding that there's one God is very critical. Um, not just out of the fact that it's true. It's you have to adopt that truth as your own and, and live it because it feeds into so much more of your life. Let's, if you look at uh, the examples that Jesus gave, when he talks about him being the bridegroom, right? What does he say about marriage in the New Testament? You're you're not marrying five wives, you're not right. marrying multiple. You're marrying one, right? Husband of one, one wife, wife of one husband. Mm -hmm. So, why would God speak of such singularity, right? If when there was such a divisive throne in heaven, right? So, and not that the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, if they're professing those as deities are married married in any way but it's the idea and um uh, the idea of oneness of coming into that bedchamber this the intimacy that you have mm -hmm. with the almighty god mm -hmm. um and it's through relationship that you have with that um many other examples he talks about and it brings the the sing singularity relationship with the children um father and son I don't I don't you can say you have many fathers 
but only one biological father is your true father. Right, yeah. Every human being only has one biological father. So again, another example there that there's only one Mm -hmm. that can give birth. So the the plurality is is the ideas cast down just in mere example mm-hmm. not 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 even going into the facts of el shaddai and 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 elohim and and all the um attributes and the the breakdowns of mm-hmm. who god is but you're right you got to understand who he is before you can enter into that intimate relationship with mm-hmm. god and you know an interesting kind of tag onto what you're saying there. Um, you're talking about children of Israel, how, you know, it would, like some knew him as mighty, but maybe not as almighty. And, and it's interesting because specifically relating to uh, the Exodus narrative, um, the we all we all are very familiar with the, the ten plagues of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not going to go through them all. We, we're all familiar with the story of what happened. Um, but it's interesting, what many people might not know, is that each one of the plagues, maybe not each, not, maybe not everyone, but each one of the plagues in some way dethroned all of the quote-unquote gods of Egypt. Right. And so well, it was more than just, it was more than just God freeing his people from slavery it was an emphatic statement right. by him saying there is none one there one there is none greater than i but there's also none beside me right there's none before me none after me right all these supposed gods i have dethroned them so it's not right. just that i'm mighty it's not just I, i'm a powerful god amongst gods right uh, other gods it's that in, in the other gods that quote unquote gods pale in comparison right they have even if they had quote unquote power their power would be so so minuscule yeah compared to his so it was a statement of his almightiness right that none of the the, the gods of Egypt could compare to them and another story was um, in in first Samuel when the the ark was taken by the Philistines and placed on the threshing floor, mm-hmm. and the statue of Dagon fell down before mm-hmm. the ark, and the Philistines were like, okay, that's weird. They put it back up. They went out the very next morning. It had fallen down mm-hmm. again, but th- this time its hands and its head mm-hmm. had broken off and fallen. And what was significant about that? Well, the the Philistines understood the significance of it. Because they were immediately terrified and wanted nothing to do with the ark. They stripped right. it back. Why? Well, because the head represents authority, for one. The head was cut off. So one guy was saying that the supposed authority was of Dagon was being cut off. Right. But also the hands. The hands are, are what do the work. Mm-hmm. The hands are what is are, is what power is demonstrated through. Right. And so by him cutting off the hands, he was saying that the that the supposed working power of Dagon was being cut off. So not only the authority, but right. also the demonstration of Dagon were both dis- right. d- d- totally uh, disrupted and destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the Philistines looked at that and said, we want nothing to do with this because they understood the significance of it. Right. Um, 
And so, and, and we talked about the Almighty in our previous episode, talking about how the Old Testament relegates the term Almighty to Yahweh, mm-hmm. New Testament to Jesus. And that was the, the narrative that I told in the previous episode, right. the first narrative. That was my attempt at explaining how there cannot be two Almighties. Right. Because all it does is create division and war, mm-hmm. which breeds chaos and destruction. Right. How there can only be one Almighty, a true Almighty, because if, there, if there's anything else, all it is is it's going to be a war. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you talking about Dagon falling down on his head and his hands breaking off power and authority. Um, it's interesting when God goes to a spiritual battle. Yeah. Because in in uh, in in uh, Exodus he was in fact waging spiritual warfare against Pharaoh. Right. Because he was combating each everyone. Moses may have thought at the time that in his uh, because he was so consumed with his inadequacies, he may have thought at the time that he was just obeying the mere word of God and he right. didn't understand the importance. Now I'm sure he probably had some insight in there, but we do get consumed in our own life of our inadequacies and our failures. And then we try our best to hear the voice of God and and do the will of God and and obey him. And we don't understand sometimes the depth of spiritual warfare that God is taking us through. Yeah. And what he was doing is you're what you're talking about. He was destroying a nation's belief system. Yeah. um, Because he knew to loosen their grip, they had to lose confidence. Mm hmm. Because when they lost confidence in their gods, they lost heart. Yeah. And they realized that we we are not power, more powerful than them anymore. Yeah. And even all the dark magic that they could conjure up and Moses, they the sorcerers threw their rods on the ground, turned into snakes, and Moses threw his down, his snake swallowed their snakes up. Right. It was always professing that God is greater. Mm-hmm. Um, so you find that throughout the Bible and the, the illustrations um, and the, the the displaying of God's power and authority, but to Dagon losing his his power and authority, what what I believe God was also say, showing there is that what I'm what I'm showing you is not with Dagon. Can't be with Dagon because it's with me. Right. Yeah. So what you thought had power and authority in yeah. your life, I have the power and authority in your yeah. life. Yeah. So it's. It's interesting how that, um, how God speaks to His people through these things, and you got to pay attention to the details because it's not the the major things. And through that, again, something something small. Um, Dagon was a pagan god, mm-hmm. uh, pagan worshippers, um, an idol. Um, when pa- when Dagon fell and was broken, um, the the Philistines stopped. Uh, walk, they would jump yeah. over, leap over the threshold. Right. Because the threshold was where the, the neck was, where the head broke off in the hands. Yeah. So they, they started a tradition. Right. Yes. Be very wary of traditions that yes. will transform your mind and yes. how you think. This is where false doctrines begin to be conjured up. Right. Is in our imagination and in our traditions. So, um, when they did that, they began leaping over the threshold, and they did that because they thought there was something 
mysterious, supernatural yeah. about that. We don't want to touch the threshold. Well, they were jumping over it, and then the Israelites saw the influence, and then they started. And um, the Bible says it was, it was. I believe it was either was it Paul in the New Testament um, that called them out for having traditions like um, the Philistines. Anyway, I can't. It escapes me right now. But somebody called them out, yeah, and said, "You're you're following after pagan worship. Mm. You're doing something so simple." as jumping over a threshold, but it's the why that concerns me. Absolutely. It's not just that you want to jump over. It's why you're jumping over because there's an intent that you believe that there's something when in all reality, you should be thanking God that the threshold was there, that it broke the neck. So it was, we can adopt belief systems. Yeah. We can adopt mindsets. Yeah. And just segment our thinking into one avenue and begin to walk down a dark road um, away from God if we be, begin to hold to the rudiments and the traditions of the world. Yeah. Um, but Paul emphatically told the church in Rome to don't be conformed to the world. Don't yes. follow after the pattern. Right. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So yeah. I think it's something to take note of that when God wages spiritual warfare against a people, against uh, a mindset, against a tradition, we need to pay attention. Yeah. And, you know... To to that, Jesus said, quoting prophet Isaiah, Woe to you hypocrites, right. for you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far, far from, from me. me. You teach as the traditions of man, doc, you teach as doctrine the, t- the traditions of man. Right. So you, they, you allow what man has decreed through their own mm-hmm. uh, human reasoning to be divine yeah you you allow uh human reasoning to to be in a sense the almighty yeah uh and there, oh, there's somewhere i was gonna go with that but failing it just escaped my mind there but that's okay um you're having senior moment that's right there it is uh, but you know a really key point um oh i remember i was gonna go with that or so we're going back up there so you know, tradition Tradition is both good and bad. Right. And I think we've talked about this before, maybe, if I recall correctly. Because there are traditions that are biblical. True. Um, Paul even said, hold fast to the traditions mm-hmm. that, referring to the biblical God, God-given traditions, mm-hmm. you know, the, the structure and the order that he had given. He said, hold fast to them. Right. Don't lose them. Don't go off and, uh, and, and adopt other traditions, but keep right. to these traditions. Right. And so, in a sense, there is a, there's a good part to tradition. And so, you know, there are a lot of people... Tradition is a weird thing because there's a lot of people who are all for it and a lot of people who are all against it. Right. There's like very little in between, very little. It, the understanding of the concept of tradition, yeah, and how we talk talk about the oneness of God, and yeah. now we're talking about traditions of men. <laughs> this is this is how the podcast goes. Welcome to our life. There you go. There you go. Um, it's the concept of of what tradition means right. to individuals right. as to what they adhere to. Now, would you say that a definition of tradition could be quantified? even as a spiritual discipline? 
in the right sense, I would say yes. Okay. Because so when we, so a lot of times, and I, I talk about this a lot, so I've probably said it before. A lot of times we approach things, a lot of times unknowingly, um, with presuppositions, preconceived ideas, and uh, uh, cultural biases. Right. Um, we may not realize we do it, but we do it. Um, and we do it with a plethora of things, not just concerning biblical matters. Right. Um, and so a lot of times, because the the just the, the word itself, tradition, has been... That, that the word has come to carry a very specific meaning with it. And, um, and, and I would, I guess in my own personal definition of what that word has come to mean is, um, it is in most people's minds is not necessarily spiritual discipline, but I do agree that's the correct yeah. definition of it. It's that most people would define tradition as, um, sort of a man-made construct that incites or entices a certain desired order. Okay. And and so it's a man-made construct that is meant to it that is meant to follow a particular uh desired flow. Yeah. Um and even even with that definition, that could be good and bad right. if that man-made construct is in alignment with the Word of God. Right. Um, but I I would agree that the proper and 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 Paul's usage of hold fast to the traditions is spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Because a tradition is something that is be- has become regular, has become normative, has become uh, something that you are accustomed to. Yeah. Um and what more should what what more should we become so accustomed to than spiritual disciplines? Reading the word, prayer, fasting, yeah. worship, praise, uh church attendance, uh giving, sacrifice, etc., etc., etc. All of these are spiritual disciplines that ought to be traditional for us in the sense that they ought to be common to us. Right. They ought to be something that we are familiar with yeah. and something that we know, not in the sense that they become monotonous, right. not in the sense that they become just, you know, something we do, yeah. but in the fact that they are so prevalent in our lives yeah. that they are a tradition for us that, you know, if you... Because we're all human, nobody's perfect. Let's say you go you go throughout your day, and let's say typically you get up in the morning. The first thing you do is read your Bible, read your Bible, and pray. Mm-hmm. Let's say one morning you're particularly tired. You sleep in a little bit, throws off your day, and maybe you read a little bit. Maybe you say a short prayer, but it's not anything compared to what you normally do. Right. If prayer and reading your Bible has become has become a tradition or a spiritual discipline for you, that will throw off your entire day. Yeah. And you will feel the out of balance of that. Yeah, you feel the weight difference. But if it's not a tradition for you, you'll go throughout your day unaffected. Yeah. You'll go throughout your day feeling no different. Why? Because you've not made it a tradition. 
Yeah. And but on the flip side of that, a man-made construct that in, that is, entices a specific order. <clears throat> when we a lot of times we as human beings uh, we like to I'll, I'll just phrase it very plainly we're very arrogant creatures can be yes um, uh, we're just you know we're I, I'll, I'll say it like this human beings are prone to pride yeah um, and so a lot of times we think we know best mm-hmm. when we know zilch that's just how it is um and so we have these ideas that we think we know how something ought to be. Right. And that, kind of bleeding back into the oneness topic here, <laughs> that's actually what brought about the Trinity. If you study, I, I, I don't know in particular how much you've studied um, the early church, um, specifically the later like you know um <clears throat> second century third century Ooh. church um i i won't i want to say i've studied it extensively but i have a rudimentary understanding of it mm. um like i've listened to teaching on it i've read books about it um and it's really interesting because in truth which i'm sure you know this the trinity was not formed until the third century right um and it, it, it had started, it started in the second century, but it was not actually accepted into the third century, really. Yeah. It wasn't the prominent doctrine until the third century. <clears throat> but it's really interesting because actually what brought it about was when they began to mix biblical teaching with Greek philosophy. Okay. And so what they were endeavoring to do is they were endeavoring to take something divine so a divine revelation and attempted to understand it through human reasoning right because they 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 couldn't grasp that they 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 couldn't understand that it was a divinely given revelation they thought it had to be understood humanly they thought that they had to get a get a, a mental grasp on it yeah and so these these Greek philosophers that then began to profess Christianity then began to take their their way of processing things through their uh, influence of philosophy and inspired to explain divinity yeah. through human reasoning. Well, how do you explain the the, the things of divine? through human re- you can't no. it becomes muddled it becomes muddy it becomes right. disoriented it becomes uh it, it becomes wobbled and just wrong it morphs into something completely different exactly and that's and the, and you know in the new testament we have the uh the term uh, terms father son holy spirit mm-hmm. a very you know a clear concise thorough reading of the new testament you will will unveil and show that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Yeah. We can literally go through so many passages to demonstrate that. that they are not three separate entities. Right. It's <clears throat> three separate manifestations, you could say, maybe, right. of the one God. Right. Um, but because we have these three iterations named, 
then these former Greek philosophers came in and said, well, there's three mentioned, so there must be three. Yeah. And so this, this influence of human reasoning began to twist Scripture because they thought that they were unveiling some new divine revelation right. because they were approaching it through philosophy yeah. instead of a, a, a humble heart right. of, of desiring to glean truth, right? Because they are approaching it as if they had all the answers mm -hmm. and were see simply seeking to define it. Right. They weren't seeking truth. They were seeking to define truth. Yeah. And that's what led to the development of the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. Is all of that. So you were talking before about uh, we can oftentimes view things through culture bias. Yes. Um, so it would be an adequate statement to say that in... I'm trying to figure, figure out how I want to navigate this question. Um, so just up front, yeah. I'm a Caucasian American. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's that's a fact. Right. But if you want to be truthful about the uh, doctrine, oneness of God, if you go into the origin of that, it would technically be a Middle Eastern culture. Right. It would be... It, uh, Hebrew, right? It would be um, not American. No, people it, that portray Jesus to be white, it's like, bro, right? He was he was the, Middle Eastern, right? He was he was dark skinned dark hair, dark eyed, like no. So so, the the idea that a culture a person can view God through their culture, and as you just depicted about uh, Greek mythology, they view through their culture and morph it into something that fits their culture yeah. is the wrong reason or wrong definition of tradition. Yeah, right, right. So it's the perfect depiction of that because myself as a Caucasian American, both being completely unplugged and disconnected from what Middle Eastern culture is. Yeah. But yet I'm, a, I've adopted it as truth. Right. I've accepted it as truth. Right. And I'm living that. So, but Every culture, and this is what I believe, what I believe makes global missions so impactful and so beautiful of an organism mm -hmm. that is just organic, I guess is the best word, because the gospel is being preached to the four corners of the, of the world and cultures are setting down their culture beliefs mm -hmm. and looking through the lens of the, the word yeah. and not their culture. Yeah. So it's not the acceptance of something that is within your culture. It's the acceptance of something that's without your culture. Right. So, again, when the when Jesus was come to the house of Israel, I'm come to the house of Israel. The woman came and had a, I believe her child was uh, vexed of devils. Um, and she came and and Jesus said, "I'm not. I'm sent to the house right. of Israel, not." Yeah. Um, not to the not not to the, the the outsiders, just in layman's terms. And she said, "I know that even he said not to the dogs, your dog." Mm -hmm. She said, "I know the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table." So I know that there's something that is going to come to me mm -hmm. just because I'm here. 
Yeah. So culturally or not, there's something that happens when I'm in your presence. Right. Yeah. That I'm still going to be connected to. But then the gospel we find in Acts 10 where Peter goes and talks to Cornelius. Yes. Preaches to him. His household is saved. So now we see the gospel moving from the house of Israel, the Jews to the Gentiles. Yeah. Once it gets to the Gentiles, who's a Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew. Right. So now you've opened it up to every culture, every nation, every people, every tongue, every kindred, mm -hmm. every nation is a cause in, in revelation. So now you've opened it up to everybody, but has the gospel changed? Right. Yeah. The gospel has stayed the same. Right. The people that are to receive it has changed. Right. But the gospel the has message. remained the same. The message is the same. Right. Our methods may change of delivering the message, yeah. but the message can never change. Absolutely. So it's very interesting, as you pointed out, when people begin to look at the word and frame it through yeah. their culture and through their... Um, people, we find people do that now with their, their mentalities, and this could go into a long conversation that we don't have time, nor do we want to go down this road. <laughs> but... I mean, between race and creed and religion, right. color, um, I mean, anything, this is the time that we live in now, it's anything is an occasion mm -hmm. to latch a hold of and Absolutely. create traditions yep. and create um, a culture, create yep. um, things that begin to frame yeah. your ideologies. When in reality, God said you need to get back to, to the word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what you were saying about the human race being prone to pride lust of the eyes mm -hmm. lust of the flesh pride of life, pride of life. Yep. the three things that was it James yeah it was James called that out no sorry John John so the three things that is like you need to pay attention yeah and you need Absolutely. to root this out of your life mm -hmm. those are things that that feed the flesh and the desires of the flesh in, in one way or another right and it's all trying to get you to look not through the lens of yourself but look mm -hmm. through the lens of God yeah. And, you know, and keeping on this uh, tradition track here. Um, so, we, you know, again, traditions of man, cultural biases. Um, you know, it, it's some, some say that they believe something because it's what they've been they've been taught. It's the, it's the right. tradition of their beliefs. Something passed down. So... For someone who professes to be a Christian, well, that's a whole other topic because there are so many people who profess to be Christian that aren't living by that definition at all. Um, Terms are easily adopted. Uh, easily, easily, easily. Which, that's an interesting... So, um, what was I reading recently? Um, oh, shoot. I was reading a book recently. Oh, it was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Have you read that? Okay. I've... I think I've seen the book. I've not dived into yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good book. Um, very simple, very straightforward, um, easy to read. Um, but so he's talking about the word for um, gentleman in relation to Christianity. Okay. So the, the word gentleman, and this is a side topic here. This is what I'm going to go to, but it's interesting. So I'll convey it here real quick. Um, the word gentleman, as we understand it today, how, how would you define gentleman? Uh, kind, courteous, pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Manners. Right. That's not what that word means. No. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> no, that's what that word has come to mean. Yeah. But that was not the actual meaning of the word in its original usage. Okay. 
when that word was formed, literally all it meant was you are a Lord and own land. That was okay. what, and so when someone was called a gentleman, it was not talking about his character or anything like that. It was simply a statement of fact. You are a lord and you own land, therefore you are a gentleman. So probably a form of nobleman. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But over time, through misuse, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. that word came to mean something other than its original meaning. Yeah. So we now know that word to mean kind, gentle, right. nice, courteous, whatever, you know? Because that's how, if I ask anybody, that's how literally 10 out of 10 people will define it in yeah. those same words. But that's not what the actual word means. Yeah. And so C.S. Lewis is talking and he said that the word Christianity runs the risk of doing the same. Mm -hmm. Because Christianity is not, does not refer to someone's character. It's a statement of fact. It's a, it's a, you are Christ-like, Christ -like. you are a follower of Christ. Right. It's, it, it, it's, it's not indicative of some, if someone is this, that, or the other. It is simply a statement of fact. Mm -hmm. But already, you know, and he, he pointed out back, he pointed out back then, but it's becoming even more so now, that word is becoming, is, has begun to become a, a descriptor for a particular type of character. Yeah. Oh, you have such a Christ-like character. Oh, you're so Christian. Even if that person may be the farthest thing from an actual right. Christian, so many, so often we we are hearing this more and more. Oh, you're so you're you have such a Christian character. Oh, you're so. And but all they're saying is that oh, you're nice. Right. Oh, you're kind. Oh, you're courteous. Right. Oh, 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 you're this, that, or the other. Saying oh, you're Christian. Yeah. Even if they don't follow Christ at all, and so he was making the point that if we continue this trend the word Christian is going to become just like the word gentleman in the fact that people are no longer going to even recognize it as a statement of, a statement of fact. Yeah. And it's simply going to become another synonym for nice yeah. or kind yeah. or, or loving. It's not going to actually mean that you follow Christ anymore. Right. It's been diluted. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was a side thing there. You're welcome yeah. for that. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, I was thinking today the... Um, the random thoughts you just think. Yeah. And the, uh, just on the, the idea that you could take something that's truth and dilute it yeah. to something else. I mean, Christianity, Christians take that term as a badge of honor now. Yeah, for sure. But it was, it was given originally as a mark of difference. Yes. Yeah. You were marked as a Christian. Yeah. You were, Acts you were chapter, one of, what was it? Um, 12, 12. I believe. Yeah, you were you were one of those. Yeah, they were first called Christians at Antioch. They didn't call themselves. They no, were called. they were called Christians. Right. So, to be a Christian, others have to see the example. Yes, not right. self-proclaimed. Yes. Um, so, but with that, the uh, I think I, I heard the other day um, was that the Merriam-Webster dictionary added s over six hundred words. Oh, wow! This year, wow! New words. So wow. culture and everything. Yeah. We weren't allowed to say the word ain't in in when I was in elementary school. I still don't say the word ain't. Well, it may not be proper, <laughs> but it's in the dictionary. It's now a word. So now if children say it and get called out, I couldn't do that as a kid because no. it wasn't in the dictionary no. when I was a kid. Yeah, it was not a word. So there's six hundred plus words were added to the dictionary That's crazy. this year. Um take the term swag. No, I'm not gonna take that word. Okay. 
So, well, <laughs> you I, can keep it. I don't <laughs> want it. You can I'm, keep you can you can keep swag. You can keep lit. You can keep fire. Yeah, I don't there, want it. There is there's terminology, and yeah, no Gen Zers need to oh, listen to this podcast at all. We're gonna offend every single um, one right now. <laughs> we just lost what what two people listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but the word swag actually originated in like 1690 as it was uh, what was stolen. Oh, like interesting. The pirates or um, looters would would take something, and that it was real close to to what they would call um, like a pirate's booty. Oh, their, okay. their treasure, their, yeah. their collectible, the things that they would they would collect for themselves, the stolen things. Yeah. Um, You're so swaggy. it's every time, every time I hear, especially a church, which our church, they call it swag too, but every time I hear somebody, especially a church, market something as it's something swag, I'm like, you stole that it? word... <laughs> Started out as something stolen, oh. <laughs> and and we've changed it. We have, yes. And I'm not I'm not indicting anybody for anything. It's right. it's an innocent thing, but it's the testimony of how words yes and usage can be cha- transformed. Right. Yes. Um. Yeah. Whether you want to stay with gear or merch or whatever, whatever you want. Just call it clothes, man. Oh, I had yeah. This is horrible. I had that discussion with which the same thing. It this feeds spiritually. You got to get the spiritual application. Yeah, but I'll dig deep on this one. Though. I talked to somebody the other day, and it was the we live in an age of abbreviation. Oh, for sure, and I hate it. And I don't know what half the abbreviations are. No, Mm-mm. so not a single one. So to be fun with people, I start making up um, making up abbreviations when they say something. And I loved it. The children's evangelist said he saw LOL and said living on Lipitor. That's a medication for right. seniors, yeah. obviously. Yeah, so that was a joke by a baby boomer. Right. And it's like that speaks to him. Right. Not laughing out loud. Yeah. It's living on Lipitor. I'm loving life. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's the traditions of men can transform your yeah. world. <clears throat> and the challenge of the church is not to be relevant. Right. The challenge of the church is to, to live in revelation. 100%. So that we can root out the indiscretions and the tears that begin to sprout up. Yes. And we can still identify what the wheat is, which, what's the identification of the wheat? It bears fruit. Right. And it bows. Yes. At the weight of the fruit. So submission is a is a key to understanding truth, to being submitted to truth. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that go in there, but it's the church's responsibility to root out those traditions. Absolutely. So infomercial's over. There you go. Back to you, sir. All right. <laughs> Salvage this podcast, please. Okay. <laughs> A lot of weight in my shoulders. Um, but so before the Christian tangent uh, rant. Uh, uh, it was a rant. Go ahead. Rant, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so I initially started talk about that, saying that, you know, for those of us who profess to be Christian, you know, we, we, we have a culture of bias, biases that are largely formed by the culture in which we live, obviously, yeah. cultural biases. Right. So there's, you know, there's American culture, there, there, there is uh, Canadian culture, there's mm-hmm. South American culture, okay. there's uh, A, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's each, you, each country has its own culture, but you could even go even further and say that, like, each state or each mm-hmm. providence or even each community right. within the countries have their own culture. Like, for example, we live in Indiana here. If you go over to California, still in the, still in the U.S., 
it's going to have a vastly different culture. Yes. And so... We learned last night, Iowa has... A very strange culture. culture. I'm, not ever, I'm sorry if you're from Iowa and you're listening to this. I, I don't... I, yeah, we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> um, anyway. Um, so we have um, these, cult, the, these biases that are, that are formed. And we have biases that are formed not just based off of where we live... But the but what we I guess you could say the 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 organizations if that's what you want to call it that we engage in yeah so for example the Catholic Church has has a culture mm-hmm. the Lutheran Church has a culture the Apostolic Church has a culture definitely and so we we have these various cultures within these different organizations within these different groups. So, and here, here's my, here's my little thing that I was really, what I'm building up to here. Obviously, we're all going to be different and we're all, we're all going to be impacted by the culture in which we live. Right. Even, you know, those who are, you know, born and raised in California, they may be the greatest person to have ever lived, the greatest Christian to have ever lived, but they're still going to act different based off the, because of the culture than me or you. Right. Um, but for those of, again, coming back to this, for those of us who profess to be Christian, should not our culture be more so defined by the kingdom of God right. than it is by the kingdom of man? Right. Because if we're truly Christian, that means we belong to Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we belong to Christ, that means we have been birthed into his kingdom. Right. And if we have been birthed into his kingdom, that means we are citizens of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. So while we might live on this earth, this earth is not our home. Right. And so we have these, the, these, these traditions of, of men based off of uh, a culture and the different groups and societies or whatever that we engage in. But... Should we allow such to truly define our definition of tradition? Because you know, we, we, we allow a certain group or organization to define tradition and define how we ought to understand a particular thing. So mm-hmm. keeping it with the Bible, we, we allow the, the cultural tradition of this group and their interpretation of scripture to define our understanding of truth. Yeah. Okay. But is that the kingdom of understanding of truth? Right. What tradition are we allowing to rule us? Are we being ruled by the traditions of God, right. which are displayed through his kingdom? Or are we being ruled by the traditions of man? So bringing this back to our oneness topic, I'll say it very plainly. The Trinity is a tradition of man. It's not a tradition of God. Yeah. It, it's, it's found nowhere in the Bible. You, you can't... Uh, I, so right now I'm reading this book right here. It's actually a, technically a college textbook, but that's okay. Um, it's called Big Ideas by Brother Norris. Uh, he wrote it for his 
uh, college class that he taught or teaches, whatever, at Gateway College. Meant, meant it for be a te- to be a textbook. And he in, in the particular chapter that I just finished, he's writing about his experience at, um, at a particular seminary or something of that, I forget, and how one of his uh, seminary teachers was a Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and his Trinitarian seminary preacher outright said, let me pre- they're, they're talking about God, the Godhead, whatever it was, I forget exactly. And he said, let me preface, I am a Trinitarian, but you will not find the Trinity anywhere in the Old Testament. Interesting. How, how can you make such a statement and, and profess to be Trinitarian still? Right. Because, and here is a, here, and again, this is a tradition of man, not a tradition of God, right. is that people separate the Old from the New Testament. Correct. People look at the Old Testament and say, oh, that was for the times past. It is no longer, it is no, it is no longer for us. It is no longer uh, applicable to us. It is no yeah. longer, we can't glean anything from it anymore. It is simply the things of old. Yeah. And so they look to the New Testament as something separate, something right. different, and say, oh, well, the Trinity wasn't, wasn't anywhere in the Old Testament, it's everywhere in the New Testament. But the thing is, the Old Testament served as the foundation. It's talked about all throughout the epistles that everything that was written in the Old Testament was a type and a shadow. Right. Paul said that the things that were written in times past were for our instruction, mm-hmm. for our benefit, that we might grow and mature. Right. And in another place, he said in Second Timothy that um, that uh, uh, what? How is it worded? Um, breathed out by God. Um, um, how is it worded? I'm draw- I I know this verse. Why am I drawing a blank? I'm I'm trying to explore the caverns of your mind right now, and I'm not I'm not getting it. Is profitable for profitable, profitable for, for doctrine? Yeah, for but what's the first part of that verse? I forget it now, and I don't know why. I know that verse so well. It's Second Timothy three sixteen. I can really tell you the verse, but I'm just struggling to think of how it was worded. It's not great, is the mystery? No, no. no it's Second Timothy, Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. There you go. Yep. That's what it is. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There you go. I just could. I was failing to. Anyway, so we have. You know everything that was when he said all scripture, the old te- I'm sorry, the New Testament was not yet formed. Right, it didn't exist. So all scripture was referring to the Old Testament. And when he yeah. wrote in Romans and saying that the things that were written in the former times, mm-hmm. again, that was the Old Testament. Right. And so these things were meant to be the foundation. And so if this Trinitarian professor could look at this and say the Trinitarian the Trinity is found nowhere in the Old Testament. That should be a clear indicator because if this is the foundation, right. if this is what everything is built upon and nothing is found there that right. can that can prove it, then that ought to already be a, a, a pretty strong indicator to us that, it, that, that it's not there at all. So the, the caveat there is the difference between the known and the unknown. So I think what happened to a lot is the moment Jesus stepped on the scene, yeah. it threw people for a loop. Absolutely. Because yeah. the Old Testament 
is types and foreshadows. Yeah. Prophecies yeah. being fulfilled. That lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, there was a child that would be born, Isaiah 9, 6. Mm-hmm. Government being on the shoulders. The moment Jesus was born, it was now taking the unknown, yeah, and the invisible, and making it visible. Right. So the idea that all of the invisible was now the visible, they didn't believe that, and then they started separating. Right. Through culture. Yeah. Through philosophy. Yeah. Through mytholo- Greek mythology. They started trying to name, name the parts and pieces, how it was going yeah. on, and then that's what they, that's what they found. Um, and then just men's imagination began to run wild with it. Right. But, so to kind of, we're running out of time here quickly, so I'll try and wrap this up. So, and this is difficult, because again, we all have cultural biases and everything like that. But, when we are approaching doctrine, when we are approaching truth, it is imperative that we approach it through the lens of what does God say about himself? Right. Because he is the ultimate definer of tradition mm-hmm. in this, in the true sense of the word. He is the ultimate definer of, of, of what is true and what is false. Right. It's not for us to declare a decree. It's not... Um, uh, Peter um, writing, and I, I think it's First Peter 2, I believe... Um, if my memory serves me correctly, talking about how the word of God came and how the word of, word of God was given, how it was given through divine revelation uh, through through men and to 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 utter and and not for themselves even, but for generations to come. Right. But then he goes on and he says it was not for private interpretation. No. It was not for them to look at it and say, oh, this is what I think it means. Right. This is how I understand it. This is what I uh, 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 gleaned from it. Yeah. It was It was not for private interpretation. And, and later on, he, car- he goes on and he talks about how it came by, the, came by the Spirit. It literally, if you study that in Greek, that literally defines almost as if the Spirit was something that was... The, the the word or truth was carried on the back of the spirit is literally what that's defining in the Greek. Yeah. It was like the spirit was bearing the weight of the word of truth. Okay. So it, as the spirit was the one bringing revelation, bringing truth. Yeah. Um. And and so when we approach the Bible, we all have our presuppositions. We all have our biases. And but we talked about this previously. It is imperative that we approach it in humility. We talked right. about this in the last, the second to last episode um, regarding the first episode in the oneness of God. Our comprehension, our reception of truth is it hinges on humility, yeah, which requires us to lay down our cultural biases mm-hmm. and say, while this may be what I've been taught my whole life. Does that align with who God says he is himself? Right. Not who man says he is. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should not receive the words of men. Because God, the scripture says that God uses men to, to, to bring, to uh, speak revelation, to speak truth. Um, But when we hear that word, we need to take it back to the word. 
Right. And if it does not align with the word, because God will never contradict himself. Right. So if ever we hear something that indicates a sort of belief that does not, whether it's, you know, the Trinity or some other, you know, uh, salvation uh, by works or, or, or no need to be bapt or baptized in the name of Jesus, no need to receive the Spirit, this, that, or the other. Right. If there's ever something that's taught right. that is not in alignment with the Word of God, it needs to be rejected. Right. Yeah, everything needs to be filtered through the Word. Um, that's good. You were talking about kingdom culture um, and not, obviously we can get into this real long, lengthy, but kingdom culture, I mean, just everything we do on a daily from getting up and getting dressed, you're getting dressed with your armor on. It's yeah. kingdom dress, um, kingdom speech, kingdom actions. So we need to be kingdom people. Absolutely. And that's the filter we need to live our life by. Yeah. And, and you know, very quickly, kingdom people, who's our king? Right. You know, so, so often I fear that we reverence man more than we reverence God. Right. We're more afraid of man than we are of God. Because we're, we're, we, man is somebody that we can see and somebody that we experience. And so we, right. we are afraid of their immediate judgment. But of God, we're not really afraid because, why? Because he's not seen. Right. Who's our king? Right. You have to follow the king. Amen. But we are quickly running out of time. We're in the red. So we're going to wrap this up. I pray that you're blessed in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining in with us today we don't take it lightly we don't take it for granted we know that we all have busy lives and the, the fact that you took time out of your day to join us and listen in with us it it means so much to us we pray that what was talked about today was a blessing to you and impacted you and made, made a difference in your life and if it did we would be so grateful and so appreciative if you shared this episode with someone you care about, a loved one, a family member, or a friend. It would mean the world to us. In Jesus' name, God bless.